0: Of uh, sorrow that go over you. You are leaning on Jesus for repose. And do you notice what, he said, what we're saying together? What God says to us is that though the people who trust in Jesus only, he will never, no, never, no, never forsake. It's a it's triple right? He wants to assure you. He says this in John, Jesus says this in John, that uh, anyone who comes to the Father through Jesus, he will in no wise, there's, it's no, there's no possibility that he would cast you out. So maybe you're coming to him, to him for the first time. Uh, maybe you see Jesus and, and you're saying, I really want to believe him. He seems beautiful and believable. He promises you that he will not cast you out. All of your friends may forsake you, your family, but not Jesus. And maybe you've come to him for the hundredth time. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're in despair today. I I would just say to you, think again. He will never, no, never, no, never forsake you. Let's just pause for a moment before I pray just to think about those things. So great and awesome God, who we can call you Father through Jesus Christ. We come to you. We we are approaching you. Though we cannot see you, we believe by faith that you are here among us, that you hear us, that you bend your ear towards us. And so we think of the King Jehoshaphat as as he is standing before the armies that are about to go to battle with Israel. And Israel's afraid. God's people are afraid. We want our hearts to be like Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, who prays to you, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God of heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, in your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. D- did you not, our God, make a people for your own namesake, not only in Israel, but all the descendants of Abraham who believe on Jesus for salvation? We are your people. Have you not set your name on us? Will you not defend us? This house, this This people who is the house of God, will you not prosper us by showing us more of yourself? God, we, some of us, feel as if we are in the hurricane of your wrath. Let us remember that Jesus took the hurricane of God's wrath on the cross so that we might have a dear refuge of our weary soul. Father, you, you you, had Jehoshaphat pray that our God will execute judgment for us, but we don't know how you're going to do it. We are powerless against this, the greatness of our enemy that is the sin, our own flesh and the devil. And we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you, O Lord. So we ask that you would open our eyes to behold the gospel, to understand and and see the gospel and to believe it. We know that is a a miracle that you would have to work in us. So open our eyes, O God, to the truths of your word. You know our hearts are longing for truth, goodness, and beauty. I pray that we would find it where where it is in you and in your word and in jesus christ things cannot be beautiful unless they're true and good and the only truly beautiful one is jesus convince us of that by your spirit we pray god we thank you for this good news of the gospel and that you've called us to proclaim it to other people we thank you that we're not the only people who are proclaiming this gospel we have brothers and sisters in other churches. And we want to pray for them, God, as they're meeting this morning. We pray that you'd give them success. We, we pray that they would see success as being faithful to the gospel, the message of the Bible, and not make secondary things more important or on the same level. Make that true of us, of me, this morning. We pray that the gospel would grow them and spark their faith that they may be joyful, happy Christians who do good to others in this city. And may the good news of Jesus Christ go out in word and in deed here. So we pray for First Baptist of Corvallis, and we ask that you'd be kind to these dear friends and give them a pastor that would be faithful to preach the word of good news every week. Give them unity to vote on a pastor soon, we pray. God, we pray for Northwest Hills. We thank you for these dear partners in the gospel there in North Corvallis. And we ask that you would help them to be devoted to the reading of the word and the preaching of the gospel so clearly that that no one could accuse them of being anything else but followers of Jesus. I pray for, for our dear brother Josh Carstensen. Give him joy and clarity and love and gentleness in the pulpit this morning, that your word may go forth. And we want them to succeed for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom. God, and we we do ask that you'd be with Hub City in Albany, make their light shine bright there. We also pray for Redemption Church in uh, North Portland, Northeast Portland. Pray for Virgil as he preaches and as he leads a very new church that you would be near to them. You would be kind to them. You'd help them to fear not but to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord there in North Portland that, that many people may see, believe, and come into the reality of being a son and daughter of God. Do that. Do that here. Do that throughout the nations because you are bringing a, a group of people in to, to praise your name. This is what you've created the whole earth for, and we pray that, that you would recreate it through this good news of the gospel that your son would give his life as a ransom for many people so that they might come into fellowship with God. Help us be disciples who give our lives away for the gospel. Help us be telling about people about Jesus because this is their only hope. So we pray that as you open the word to us, you would open us to the word. You have said the the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Give us confidence in that word. So I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and the God of angel armies. Amen. So I just wanted to give a shout out. We went on a men's camping trip. If you know anything about me, the fact that I stayed the night when I could have come home was a work of the spirit of God in me. Uh, I guess it's the work of the spirit of God or I, I gave into peer pressure. It was a blast, okay? I, I'm not just saying that because I have to because I'm the pastor. I had such a good time. <laughs> Everyone's laughing like, yeah, right. Uh, it was such a good time sitting around the fireplace, just getting to know other guys and, and talking about Jesus. And, and uh, Gage taught me how to throw a tomahawk and some throwing knives. That was fun. I didn't, I didn't hurt anybody. You're welcome. Um, Gage, I just want to honor Gage. He planned this, executed it. The food was delicious. Uh, it was really good. Now, Logan, our dear brother Logan, went home sick, so I, I don't know, like, if he got sick from the, the camp, the camping retreat. No, it wasn't him. Okay, but the food was really, it was really good. We had a good time. Thank you for, for playing that, Gage, and Matthew, and for executing. It was, it was, it was a blast. Uh, I hope if you didn't go, uh, you're sufficiently encouraged to think about going to the next one, even if you don't like camp- camping. Um, so, thank you. Oh, it, it was a blast. So I'm going to start into the sermon now, just a, a really smooth transition right there. Okay, so it all comes down to this. We're in Exodus 13. That's in the first half of the Christian Bible. Genesis, Exodus. You go to the front and you go to Genesis. It's the next book, Exodus. We're going to be in Genesis 13. I mean, Exodus 13, sorry. Big numbers are chapter numbers. The little footnote-like numbers are verse numbers. So you can open your Bible there. But it all comes down to this. This is what we've been working towards this is what the narrative has been leading up to there's 10 seconds on the clock the shot clock is off the ball is in the hands of the greatest player ever to play the game of basketball I don't even have to say his name you all know who it is Michael Jordan he dribbles to the right and he crosses over at the elbow pull up jumper now what's going to happen In 1998, the second between it leaving his hands and hitting the basket, we're unsure of what's going to happen. We don't know. MJ has won games before at the last second, but he has also lost games at the last second. The odds are good, but not certain. Will he win the NBA title for his team another time, or will he go home and retire? Friends, when it comes to humans, we can have only so much certainty. And here in the book of Exodus, in chapter 13 and 14, the Israelites in the book of Exodus are not in game seven of the NBA finals, but are on their way out of Egypt, their land of slavery. They had been enslaved there for over 400 years by the Egyptians. They had come, they'd come there just as God had promised to Abraham that they would. You can see Genesis 15. God promised Abraham, I will bless your descendants. They will come into Egypt. They will be saved alive, but then they will be enslaved. And now they are leaving just as it was prophesied. Just as Joseph believed it by faith. Hebrews tells us that by faith, Joseph believed that God would bring Israel out of the land, so he made the son's promise. God's gonna bring you out of the land, so I want you to promise, you bring my bones with you. I do not belong in this land, I belong with my people. So it all comes down to this. Pharaoh let them go, but God is leading them out. The people are weak, their palms are sweaty, arms heavy why because they're not sure if god is stronger than the egyptians but this is it this is the moment the music the moment you better never let it go you got one shot one chance one opportunity of a lifetime this is the climax of the narrative of exodus israel is on the brink of exiting egypt what is god going to do Got this one shot. Don't blow it. Will God blow it for Israel? Hear what Holy Scripture says Exodus 13, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haheroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon, You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihaharoth in front of baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic clogging their chariots wheels so they drove heavily and the egyptians said let us flee from before israel for the lord fights for them against the egyptians And the lord said to moses stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the egyptians upon their chariots and upon their horsemen so moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses this is God's word so friends we know the question will God blow it is ridiculous on the other side of the Red Sea however when our backs are against the wall, and the uh, Egyptians have us between a rock and a hard place, the Egyptian armies are on one side, the Red Sea's on the other, and there's no way of escape. The fear, the questions, come fast and furious. The fear is palpable. So what are we to do? In the middle of the narrative of the climax of Exodus, God tells the children of Israel, what to do and in so doing thereby he is leading and telling us what we should do chapter 14 verse 15 why are you crying to me go forward go forward there's a time to stand firm there's a time to see the salvation of the lord there's a time to stay silent and then there's a time to go forward into salvation there's a time to get off the fence and stop playing around in games and believe god go forward So how can you be confident that you will experience this salvation that God promises or or that you can experience the salvation that God provides? You can do that because God is with you, because God fights for you. God is with you and God fights for you so you can go forward in salvation. So our first point this morning is God is with you. Those who believe in God, who are seeking his salvation through his means, can go forward because he dwells with them. He's with them. He is with his people. You notice that in uh, chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. He goes before his people, notice that it's to lead them to light their way and to never forsake them. How, how does that happen? He, he goes out before them in a pillar of cloud and fire, verse 21. And, and, and some unbelieving people who write about this say that this was, uh, this was of the Israelites' imagination. They made this up. There's no way this is scientifically possible. Uh, it, was, it was a story they made up. Friends, we believe that God is over science. We believe he created everything. And so he can do miracles like this. In fact, he does them all the time in the scriptures. He, he shows us that he is powerful because of who he is, and he is going to dwell with his people. And this image of the pillar of cloud and fire is to be with them day and night, lighting their way. Psalm 119 tells us that he lights our, the word of the Lord lights our path, and this is what God is doing for his people. He's not giving up on them. He is going before them, and he promised them that he will never forsake them. He says, it says in verse 22, it did not depart from before the people. And we see that along in chapter 14 as well. The pillar of cloud and fire uh, went with them all their journey through, so that the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. What about a spiritual enemy like the devil? Though all hell, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, I will not ever, no, never forsake. He's leading, though, doesn't always make sense. He doesn't take them the shortest route. He, he, he takes them the long way around and is going to put them between the rock and the hard place. Their backs are going to be against the wall. But he does this for their good. He does this to show them his power and glory. So, friends, as we, we read all of these names, and you can, you can look in, in modern-day uh, diction, Bible dictionaries and encyclopedias, and, and we don't know for sure where all of these places were, Uh, But we can be sure of one thing, that God led them through the wilderness the long way right up to the Red Sea so that he can prove himself powerful and glorious. And the scriptures tell us that they go the long way around so that they might trust him. They might have to trust him. God didn't want them to fight the Philistines. Now is not the time to battle another enemy. Right now they don't have to fight the Philistines Or the Egyptians, because God is going to do it for them. And he backs them right up to the Red Sea. You can see that in chapter 13, verse 17 and 18, where he tells us this. He's he's armed them for battle, but they're not going to have to fight their own war. And, And in chapter 14, 1 through 20, we see how God leads them this way. He puts his people in impossible situations so he might show off his power and grace so that he might make his name known. And friends, we just want to remind you that him making his name known is not not an ego trip. Uh, He's not like an evil despot that wants to just display power over people and use them for his own evil designs. God wants to display his power in saving and, and judging evil so that he might be made known as the truly good one, the only good one that has come to save us. So in this narrative, his leading doesn't always make sense. He sometimes put our back against the wall. But in this narrative, he's also trapping his enemy so he might get glory. Did you notice uh, in, in chapter 14, one through five, that God is leading them because he knows what Pharaoh's going to do. In fact, he's, he has this plan the whole time, and he's going to lead Pharaoh out, and Pharaoh's going to going to come and say, hey, look at this. I've, I've lost my slave labor. I've lost my workforce. What have I done? And after mourning, he goes out to, to kill the Israelites because they have dared to escape him at his, as, at his re, as release of them. Friends, this is showing us that God loves reversals. God loves irony. So have you? maybe you lost your job. Or lost your spouse. Maybe you've lost a scholarship. Or uh, the bid on the house that you wanted. And you wonder, what is God going to do? He's hemming you in, you know. You can't pay the bills. The debt collector is calling. And it feels like it's shrinking. And the the air is getting, the, the walls are getting closer and tighter. And you're getting claustrophobic. And you don't know what to do. And you say, God, what are you doing? Friends, it is in these moments where faith is getting put to the test and where God does his greatest works. Christians throughout the centuries can attest to this, that God does his greatest work when we don't know what he's going to do and we can only depend on him. What reversals are in play? Friends, the ball is in the air. It hasn't made it to the basket. It hasn't made it to the hoop yet. What's going to happen? And I think we, we can see we shouldn't assume we know what's going to happen. We don't know what he's going to do, but we have to hang on to what we have to hang on to is what he has promised. What's he promised in his word? What did he promised the Israelites? He promised he would be with them and never leave them or forsake them. And he would bring them out. And we have to look at the promises and to the past of what God has done. Not just in the firm foundation of his word, but also what he's done for us. Recount all of the ways that God has led you out of the wilderness, how God has led you out of the, the sticky situation, the, the, the claustrophobic situation, how has God provided for you? Look at his promises and look at this past. So they're hemmed in. They're hemmed in from behind and before, and we remember First Corinthians ten thirteen that there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to human beings, common to man. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How's he going to do it? God may allow the world's most powerful enemy to back you up against the Red Sea. And that might make you very afraid. Chapter 14, 5 through 9. Here comes Pharaoh's enemy, and all there are Pharaoh as the enemy, and all his glory and his chariots. And what happens in chapter 14, verse 10? Pharaoh draws near to the people, and the people lift up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians are marching. And what happens? What would happen to you? They feared greatly, right? They're afraid. In one sense, that's normal, but in, in this sense, it's actually unbelief. This kind of fear, this kind of fear can make us do things that we know are wrong. So I don't know what fears you struggle with, you know, but I know there are different categories of, of fear in, in this room. There's, there's different categories of what you are afraid of, of why you, you are struggling right now. But most of us struggle with the fear of the unknown, right? We are petrified of what might happen. We don't know. Our, our son gets their, his license and his first time out. What's going to happen? Is the car going to break down? Is he going to get in an accident? Is, you know Will he be okay? Friends, this is called anxiety. You're fretful about what could happen happened to you. Your eyes have gotten off of the promises in the past, and they've gotten onto to your circumstances, and the circumstances are now leading you to be afraid. And fear can cause us to react in so many different ways. And the ways the Israelites responded are not too different than the ways I respond, the ways we respond. I've been trying to trace out my own heart in uh, some of my responses to my family and to the staff at our church. And uh, and trying to think, when I'm most easily frustrated with my wife or children or the staff, I, I've been taking some time, not always in the moment, but taking some time to just think, trace that back. Where is that coming from? Why, why is this happening? Why am I short with them? Why, why do I get angry about stupid stuff? Like talking with your mouth full of food or You know, not cleaning up the dishes right away when I tell you. Why do I respond in the way I do? Talking with a mouthful of food was not the staff or my wife, but my kids, in case you're wondering. But why do I respond this way? Because I'm under some sort of pressure to which I feel inadequate. I, I'm not up to the task, or I, I, my reputation is on the line, and, and what's going to happen? What are people going to think of me if I, you know, if I, don't, if I don't perform the way that I should? And the way I deal with it often, and the way the children of Israel deal with it often, is to grumble, complain, or to blame. But friends, those are only symptoms of a problem. The grumbling, the complaining, the blaming? Did you you notice them in in the passage? They feared greatly, so what do they do? They say to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt? They grumble against, Moses, you are an idiot. We knew it all along. There were graves in Egypt. Now we're going to die in the wilderness. They blame him. What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? They complain. Didn't we tell you to leave us alone? It would have been better to serve the egyptians and to die in the wilderness friends it's it's all off base these complaining blame they're symptoms of a deeper problem and you have to trace it back what's going on in your heart what are you afraid are you are you a complainer are you a grumbler are you a blamer are you do you overwork do you gossip do you talk behind people's back? Do you, are you envious? It's all going back to something. And the fear is also a symptom too. It's a fear, it's a symptom of unbelief. God has called these people to believe. He's called them out so that he might rescue them. And their complaining, their blaming, their shaming of Moses is just an act of unbelief. But God has called them out of this. They, they want to go, he, God has called them to serve him in the wilderness. They're delivered to worship him, and they say, no, it, it would be better for us to go back and serve the Egyptians, and God's saying, no, 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 he's so kind, and he's so patient, and right in the beginning of all of this, he reminds us, he gives us an example of faith, and it's Joseph in chapter 13, 19. Joseph, by faith, he believed that they were going to be delivered. So in Genesis 50, 25, on Joseph's deathbed, Joseph makes his sons promise that they're when they get delivered, that they will take up his bones. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And this is reiterated in the new testament in in hebrews 11 the chapter of faith what does faith look like hebrews eleven twenty two. by faith joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the israelites and gave them direction concerning his bones this was an act of faith and this is what god is calling the israelites to and and you friend to as well you're grumbling you're complaining Your blaming is unbelief and God says, I want you to believe. Joseph believed. Look at him as an example. Joseph knew they were coming into the promised lands. The antidote to fear and grumbling, the antidote to your unbelief, friends, is to look at the promises of God and to look at the past of what he has done and give thanks to him. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid For your faith, the promises, the past are laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can we say than to you has been said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Look to the promises and look to the past. Friends, he's telling you to go forward in faith because he is with you, but also because he fights for you. This is where the narrative gets... It's, it's, I want to say juicy, but I, even as I said that word, I shouldn't have said that word. It gets, it gets good, right? Exodus 14, verse 14 and verse 25 show us that God fights for us. And he says, the Lord will fight for you. In verse 25, he's, the, the Egyptians say, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians, How do we walk forward the answer is faith it's not blind faith it's it's a faith that god is who he said he is in his word and can do what he says he will do and will do what he has continued to do how do we walk forward in faith moses tells god's people how in verses 13 and 14. he says it in 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 four sort of commands fear not right don't be afraid But stand firm, be still, do not be afraid, see the salvation of the Lord, and be silent. Do not be afraid is what grammarians call a negative imperative. It is the strongest possible form of expressing a negation in Hebrew. Therefore, when Moses told the Israelites not to be afraid, he was not comforting them one commentator says. He was rebuking them. He, he was telling them that they had no right to be afraid because they had no reason to fear. They didn't have any right because they had no reason. All they needed to do was to stand their ground, to stand firm and quietly wait to see what God was going to do. Now I have, this is gross, I'm sorry, but it gets to the point. I have a terrible gag reflux. If someone talks about putting a dental, sorry, John, talks about putting a dental tool in my mouth, I want to start gagging, right? So dentists hate working on me. My aunt was a dental hygienist, and she was like, I'm not working on you. You're ridiculous. Uh, but there have been a range of reactions, like from a dentist in South Carolina who was like, this is all in your head. Uh, you just need to stop gagging to someone, you know, to other dentists who I liked and will go back to, who say, how can we help you not gag? You know, how can we distract you or put salt on your tongue or, or numb your tongue? You know, you can tell me why later, John. I don't know why none of them will just like put me under and do that. It would be so much easier for everybody. Like, let's just, let's just do this. But they're the professionals, right? Not me. So telling someone to fear not can be like telling someone to stop gagging. Yes, I would love to, but I haven't been able to, and your command doesn't actually help me do it, right? haven't been able to, and if you just tell me to stop gagging, uh, it actually makes it worse, not better. So Moses, like the good dentist, says, how can I help you not gag? How can I help you have faith? How can I help you not be afraid? And he tells them, here's how you can do it. Stand firm. See and be silent. Verse 13, the standing firm is like a psychological tool, right? We're, we're, uh, we're like the little kid who has a whole bunch of swagger because his bigger, older, bigger brother's behind him, and he's just taunting the bully. Come on, man. I dare you. It's, it's, it's the cycle. You have this because you have someone bigger and stronger behind you, so you stand firm. It's like the, I was telling the guys at the men's retreat, it's gladiator, did my thing just go out? It's like the gladiator, you know, where he, he tells the, 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 the other, his, uh, I, I can't even remember what they're called now, uh, someone help me, the gladiator and their, his compatriots, who, what's, his, uh, his people uh, that are also slaves, this is ridiculous and so embarrassing, anyway they're all together and the roman hordes are coming out with their chariots and he's telling them stand firm stand firm hold the line hold the line because we can do this together we can do this together we can we can beat them and, and so the gladiator and and all the other warriors in, in there they hold firm this is what it is it's a psychological uh, warfare going on where you just have to stand your ground you got to stay the course even though, the, even though the Egyptians are coming in, even though the, the battle is pressing and squeezing in on you, you stand firm and wait. Standing firm is not only an expression of faith, it is an exercise of faith. It's building faith. It's, it's, it's building you up in faith. You stand firm, you are being faithful, and you are building your faith. It's confidence that comes from the object of your faith. It's the big brother behind you, right? It's your bigger, older brother who you know will not let that bully beat you up because you've seen time and again how strong he is and that he's for you. God is fighting for them. So that's where the confidence, confidence does not come from having enough faith or bigger faith. It comes from seeing the object of your faith come through time and again. Look to the past. I'll strengthen you and help you and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. So stand firm, he says. And then see the salvation of the Lord. The, the salvation of the Lord has two parts to it. It's the deliverance of his people and it's the defeat of his enemies. So, so God says he will fight for them in verse 14. So they can stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And it's, it's a sure deliverance of his people. But friends, it's not a sure deliverance from heartache and suffering. It's a deliverance through heartache and suffering. The rivers of sorrow will not overflow, but you will be delivered through them, not from them. God uses our suffering and our heartache as a means of our salvation. And we can just look to Jesus who suffered greater than any human being ever has he's our master and we follow him into this salvation as he delivers his people through heartache and suffering not from it and how does he how does he do this how does he deliver them it's a miraculous delivery so 14 verse 21 and 22 we see what God does. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and, and we read it already, and the, the Lord drove the sea back by this east wind. So he uses natural means and his providential power to work a miracle. He, he uses the wind to blow the river, the, the sea of, uh, the Red Sea, back so his people can cross through it. And you notice in those verses that they actually cross through on dry land. They're able to, to get through it. He, he has a pillar of cloud and fire. He, he makes the waters to go back and, and, and he makes the ground dry. All of this are miraculous deeds of the Lord who has a God, who is a God of great power. A God who is, of we sang before, of angel armies. Nothing formed against us will stand. Nothing formed against God's people will stand because he chooses to use his power for their good. I will be with you, your troubles to bless and sanctify to you your deepest distress. He delivers his people miraculously, but he also, in the process, defeats their enemies. He judges their enemies. Because their enemies were wrong. Their enemies enslaved them. Their enemies did the opposite of what God told them to do with them. They mistreated them. They abused them. He would not let them go. And so God has to judge this kind of evil so that his name might be known. Now, friends, the the water in the Bible is also a symbol of destruction and chaos, in, in, in Genesis, we see it at the very beginning. It's chaos, and God brings life out of chaos. And throughout, it's a, you know, in Revelation, it says there will be no more sea. There's going to be no more chaos. There's going to be no more destruction. And as the people of God pass through the waters, you know, the waters of judgment in, in Genesis 7.20, we are to be reminded of those waters of judgment when God flooded the earth and judged the earth because of sin. God brings his people, like he brought Noah, through the waters of judgment, saving them, the waters of chaos, the waters of destruction. They were to be feared. And he baptizes them by bringing them through the waters of death and out the other side, bringing them back to life. And we're meant to see this image even in our baptism, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, Paul says this, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. God was bringing them through the waters of judgment out the other side. And First and Peter picks up on this theme as well in 1 Peter three twenty one. Where Peter writes, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God is bringing these people through the waters of judgment as a picture of what will happen as Jesus goes through the waters of judgment on the cross himself jesus will take the 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 judgment of god on himself in the cross after he lived a life of around 33 years this man jesus who is also god from eternity decided with the trinity to give up his life for people and on the cross it's the it's the waters of judgment that are pouring down on him he 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 stands in your place and he goes through these waters for you and what he's calling you to do friend if you're not a christian is he's calling you to repent of your sins and turn to him to turn away from whatever you're trusting and maybe you're trusting in your goodness maybe you're trusting in your own intellect or your uh um, your morality maybe you're trusting in that your family was a christian your family was christian so you must be christian God is saying, no, you have actual sins. Jesus died for those sins. He took the waters of God's judgment because they had to be dealt with, just like the Egyptians had to be dealt with. But God did, Jesus did not stay dead. The scriptures tell us that he was buried and three days later he rose to life. And as the Israelites come out of the waters... It's a representation that, uh, of our, co- our connection to Jesus Christ as we are unified to him by faith. That we, too, share in resurrection life. Friends, The God will surely defeat his enemies. But you don't have to be one of them. God turns his enemies into friends through the cross. And he's calling you, dear friend, to place all of your hope and trust in him. So while he defeats his enemies, he also delivers his people through the waters of judgment. And he tells them in verse 14, all you have to do is be silent. This is, friends, do you notice all of these commands? You want to, you want, you don't want to be afraid? Stand still see the salvation of the Lord be silent they're all passive God's work in Jesus Christ has been done and what you need to do is receive it you don't want to be afraid receive this salvation and move forward you'll notice that in verses 19 and 20 the angel of the Lord who's a representation of God's presence and the pillar of fire and cloud are both there, and their backs are against the wall. And what's going to happen? And the angel of the Lord, Brevard Child says, the angel of God who was accustomed to go in front of the Israelite army, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud shifted from in front of them and took its place behind them, and they came between the army of Egypt and and, and the army of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and yet it gave light by night and neither came near the other all night. So here's the picture of these two armies facing off at each other, and it's the angel of the Lord who steps in. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, Psalm 34, 7 says. So it's not just Israel or Moses or Abraham or special people, anyone who fears the Lord, the angel of God encamps around them. So what should we do with all of this? Go forward. Going forward is exercising faith. There comes a point when you have to stop crying to the Lord, verse uh, 15, chapter 14, verse 15. And you have to go forward. Stop crying, go forward. Go forward in the strength that God provides. There's a, a time for crying out and a time for standing still, but there is a time to go forward in confidence for what God has done and not in fear Of what might happen. So I don't know exactly where this is landing for you. There are a few ways I think we can apply this. Christians especially. Do you have an improper fear. That keeps you. From doing the things a disciple does. Like telling other people about Jesus. Like like boldly proclaiming the good news. Friends. uh, Christian friends. I'm talking to you. We give ourselves a pass on this too much. We have been saved by the mighty hand of God. And one of the things that he tells us to do is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's called evangelism. It's just telling the good news. It's, it's repeating a message. When he told the apostles to do that, they were representing us. They were telling us, you be the disciple makers too. This is something Christians do. Just like Christians get baptized and and, and Christians read their Bible and pray and and go to church, Christians tell other people about Jesus. In all kinds of different ways and it has to start somewhere and, and maybe it starts over a meal with one of your neighbors getting to know them and asking them questions about themselves. When's the last time you told somebody the good news about Jesus Christ and called them to repentance and faith. Maybe you have somebody in mind. I think if you, if you, do, if you don't, I want you to think about the person this week who you're going to intentionally start a conversation with and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the end goal. You're, you're thinking of all kinds of ways to do that. Do you have a pen? I want you to write that name down. I'll wait. Go ahead. I want you to write the name down. And then I, I want you to write the name of a, another Christian, either in, in this congregation or somewhere else, that you want them to hold you accountable to this. So write those two names next to each other. And then after church, I want you to go to that person or call that person and tell them you want accountability for this. You don't have to be afraid, friends. Fear not, I am with you. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am your God and will still give you aid. Fear the Lord, friends. Last thing we'll talk about is this word fear the Lord. You notice at the end of the narrative what happens. The the sort of denouement or the resolution to this narrative is that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people did what? They feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. There are two fears in this narrative. They greatly fear Egypt, and then they fear the Lord. Greatly fear is the fear that something or someone is going to hurt you or do something bad to you. Fearing the Lord is a realization that he has power to destroy both the body and the soul and cast them into hell. But the fear of the Lord turns to trust. That the fear of the Lord believes that God wants to use that goodness to deliver you. He wants to use his power to deliver you. My dad was a linebacker for Central Washington University. The NCAA Division two school. Uh, I love telling the people that he tried out for the Seahawks. He tried out for the Seahawks. <laughs> I love you, Dad, if you're listening to this. My, growing up, my dad was the strongest man I knew. That was objective fact. It's, it's not like, yeah, my dad can beat up your dad kind of thing. Like, he was the strongest person I've ever seen in my life. He could do things and lift things that I didn't think were humanly possible to do. Friends, my dad never used his strength to hurt me or my sister or my mom. He never used his strength to intimidate me. He always used his strength to provide and protect, to love, and to serve. My Friends, I know some of you do not have dads like that. And I am sorry. I really am. But friends, your dad, if if he did misuse his authority and strength, he was not acting like God. God uses all of his power and might. He is omnipotent. There's no power that he doesn't have. And what does he use it for? The good and salvation of his people. Friends, fear leads us to unbelief. But faith, looking at this one with all of this power, leads it leads us to more faith. This is the way it's supposed to be. This kind of fear, the fear of the Lord, leads to faith. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot, and I've missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's what's made me successful. So says Michael Jordan. Friends, we humans will always fail. We will never shoot 100%. But God has a purpose even in that. He is sanctifying our troubles and sorrows and our deepest distress. He tells us the flames will not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. How will he do this? The song tells us my my grace, my grace, I will deliver you and judge your enemies, will be your supply. Friends, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. He fights for you. All you have to do is be silent and go forward. Let's pray. I give you a moment to allow the Lord to apply this in different ways than I have brought up. Take a moment, please. So, Lord Jesus... Use your words to make us see you and believe you, that we might be saved. Amen.
1: We're going to now move into a time of confession, as we do every week. Um, We're going to confess our sins before God. I will pray a short prayer confession and then give us some time to pray together or pray individually and we know from god and his word that when he says in first john that he is faithful and he is just when we confess our sins that he will forgive us of those we know that he does he cleanses us and he loves us so i'm going to pray a short prayer of confession and then give you some time for a moment of silence afterwards god we do confess that we have sinned against you this week We've sinned against you in our in our words and our actions in our lives. God, God, we admit that we place those things that are in our lives day in and day out before you. We place our time, our money, our work, our relationships, everything oftentimes before you. And we confess that that we don't place you first. Yeah, we've worshipped other things. We worship your creation instead of you. That we confess that we have chased pursuits of our own lives before you. That we've chased those things that don't satisfy.